This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Awesome. Man. Man, thank you guys for being here today. Um, You know, today's one of those days where, like, as a church, um, I don't know, I kind of find it exciting because it's not normal. And it's so easy just to be like, eh, let's just stay home, whatever. But, um... There's something like that's really cool to, to meet together, to gather together in this environment, and then years later look back and be like, man, you remember when it was like freezing outside and, and we all still came to church and I couldn't feel my hands? It's great. You know, so it, it's, like a, it's like a really cool landmark in the life of your church. Um, so I, I just um, appreciate everybody being here. And plus, it's not that bad. You have a jacket. All right, so... Um, I want to start off with a question. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 20 today. Numbers chapter 20. Um, Do you remember the last time you were angry? Don't look at somebody. All right. Think about the last time you were really angry. For some of us, it was like this morning, like driving up here. For some of us, it was when you just woke up and looked who was next to you. I'm joking. Chill out. Hey, chill. Um... I was looking at Steve and I said, Steve was not for You know, for, for many of us, we, there's, there's little things that set us off. Um, there's, the emotion of anger is very real. And God, when he created us, he put that in us. And anger is, is, it's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is fine. Like, it's good to be angry. There's some things in your life that should make you angry. There should be injustice that should make you angry. When you see a friend or somebody fall into sin, that should anger you. However, <laughs> the way that we manage it and the way that we use it, that's where the issue lies. Um, so I want you to think about the stuff that makes you angry, like, for me, it would be like bad drivers or people that are like not respectful or needy people or people that treat like waiter, waiters and waitresses terribly. Um, people that talk on their cell phone like this, you know, like why, why you're in public um, or people that have the volume blasting and you're in a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? A little too personal. All right. So like there's some things that that irk me. There's some things that like that that I see. And, and it makes me, like, not, like, like, really mad, but it's like, man, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, there's some emotion that stirs up in my life when certain things happen. Now, for some other people, those same exact things, don't, don't, don't phase them. doesn't bother anybody. And what we're going to look at today is, as we learn from people who are faithful, um, we're going to look at the life of Moses. And Moses, at the end of his, of his journey... Let his emotions get the best of him. And the question is, how, should I, how am I supposed to be obedient to God? How do I be obedient to God who calls me to do something 
but at the same time not act inside of my emotions so that way I could follow his command. Because a lot of times we act in our emotions and our feelings instead of in the spirit. And when God tells us to do something, he tells us to do something with a very specific reason and a very specific purpose. And our response to the Lord is yes. Whatever it is that you're calling me to do, the answer is yes. But for some of us, it's yes and. Because it's yes, but I'm really upset. So I'm going to try to do it my way. Trying to, like, I'll do what you ask me to, but it has to be on my terms. And that's not how God works. So we're going to look at Moses. So let's go to um, Numbers chapter 20. And uh, we're going to look at 13 verses, and then we'll, we'll be out of here. All right, so Moses chapter 20, I mean, Numbers chapter 20. Yeah, I know Moses chapter 20. I'm telling you, forward thighs D, man. All right. <laughs> Products of my environment. So this is what the word of the Lord says. We're going to look at verse 1 through 5 here. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed in Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place. It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. So then Moses and Aaron went to the assembly, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So let's stop right there. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you um, speak to us. And Lord, I pray for myself. God, that you help me to remember what I've studied, Lord, and that these words be um, of you, if not of myself. And Lord, help us see Jesus in all this, because uh, we know if we see Christ, we'll never be the same. In the name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so let's go to verse 1, because this, if you know the story of Moses, if you know the story of the Israelites, this is Groundhog Day. So look at verse 1. In, this, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Kind of an interesting verse. So think about this. So you guys know the story of Moses, right? The Israelites leave. The Red Sea opens. Um, Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston are singing. Remember? I believe in miracles. All that stuff is happening. And God promises the Israelites the promised land. And he's like, there's a land flowing of milk and honey that I'm going to lead you guys to. So they get to Kadesh, and this is Exodus chapter 17. So this is the location right here. All right, so they get to Kadesh. He sends, about, he sends some spies out to look at the land of Hebron, and only two of them come back with a positive report. The other ones come back all negative. They're like, oh, my gosh, like the people are too big, and, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. So there's no way we're going to take this, but even though God already promised it to them, so they spend 40 days looking at this place, seeing the land. They still come back. They infuse fear and doubt into the people. And God says, okay, well, 
for that, you're going to be wandering around the desert for 40 years. Because the generation that doubted me is not going to enter into the promised land. 40 years goes by. Here we are again. We're back at Kadesh. And why, in verse 1, do they tell us that Miriam died? First of all, who in the world is Miriam? Miriam is Moses' older sister. Why does the author, why does Moses put this in the scripture? See, Miriam dying here is the beginning of the very last of that old generation that is phasing out. Because later on we see Aaron dies, and then at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. So here, this is kind of like a staple, like, hey, the, this old generation is starting to, to leave. Now we're at Kadesh, the new generation is here, we're about to go into the promised land like the Lord our God told us to do. All right, so now there's a problem. So we have this old generation that's about to start complaining because of the problem in verse 2. What's the problem? Let's see. Look at verse 2. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. When you're in the desert, no water is a little bit of a problem. Like, there's no water for anybody, for people, for animals, for livestock, for agriculture. There is no water. And how do the people respond to the problem? The same way the older generation responded to the problem. It says that they quarreled. They argued with Moses and Aaron. And then they get all dramatic. Anybody here know dramatic people? <laughs> Somebody's like, never. Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, we're going to die. Like, bro, you're just late. Chill out. Um, so look what happens. If we, if we had died with our brothers, fell dead before the Lord, if only we would have done all this, why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we have our livestock, that we should all just die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? There's no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Why? I mean, like, it is, it is, the drama is at a high level. But here's what's interesting. This is a new generation, but old sin. The old generation did the same exact thing. This is the seventh time that the people of Israel approached Moses and Aaron to complain. And what we need to understand is that even though this is a new generation, they're complaining just like their fathers did. Because when you are a complainer, you have an audience. And if you grow up griping and complaining, your audience are your children and your grandchildren. They got to get it from somewhere. I love like talking to parents where they're like, like man, my mijo, he, he's so lazy. He doesn't do anything. Now go get me the remote. I'm like, bro, they get it from somebody. It's you. Your kids end up like you. I'll give you an example. And the other day, now Rach is going to kill me for saying this. The other day, I have some, some habits. So I'm in the bathroom washing my hands, and I notice that the soap has a little bit of soap at the bottom. So what do I do? I open that thing up. I fill it with water, and you shake that thing up a little bit, and you put it back, and you continue to use it, right? <laughs> Drives Rachel crazy. 
All right, so a few days later, I go back in the bathroom, and I notice that every single thing has water in it. Our shampoo, our soaps. So what Elena did was Elena mimicked her dad. Elena went, opened up everything, and filled them all with water and left them there. I was so proud. I was like, this is wonderful. Rachel's not. Now, how did Elena know how to do this? This was like a year or two ago. She's a child. She saw her dad do it. And not just, she didn't just see her dad do it. She saw her dad celebrate it. And her dad say it was okay. And her dad say, man, mama doesn't know. Don't worry about it. Right? Like, like she saw all these things, so she's learning from what she's seeing. So this, this new generation is learning from what they have seen their older generation do. So we, we got to pay attention to this. So, so Moses is listening to the same song, but with a different beat. This is normal for Mo- Moses. He's hearing this again. It's the same. I know this song. They've been doing this for the last 40 years. Now, look what Moses does here. Because the way that him and Aaron responds is actually pretty impressive. And I think it's something that a lot of us could learn from. Look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron went to the assembly, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell down on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Man, that is so wise. You see, because a lot of times in our anger, the last thing that we think about doing is going before the Lord. We are ready to pop off. We are ready for some action. We are ready for some confrontation. Like, let, like oh, you're not going to do this. And what happens? You end up sinning in your anger and in your emotions. But you see, what Aaron and Moses did was that they, they were extremely wise. They, they sought wisdom to this issue. Now, I want to go back a little bit to the people because this is a younger generation. They, they, they've been mimicking what they've seen. They're, they're complaining again. And for some of us, like, the, the, problem, the problem when we become complainers as believers is that we're literally telling the world that our God doesn't have the ability to take care of us. We're questioning God's power. We're questioning his supremacy. So when we gripe and we cry about everything, what we're telling a non-believing world is that God is not powerful enough to make sure we got everything that we have. And a sign of spiritual maturity is not about how loud you can sing these songs, how many Bible verses you have memorized, and all that stuff. No, a sign of spiritual maturity is when the bottom falls out, you're able to still stand and say, my God is faithful. What happens when the check doesn't clear? What happens when you don't get the job you wanted? What happens when the doctor's note is negative? Are you able to still stand and say, no, my God is still faithful. My God is still good. My God is still with me. Jesus is still next, like inside. Jesus is still working. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. So whenever we gripe and we complain and we are like, listen, that's our emotions kicking in. But we've got to be careful that we don't operate in our emotions and we operate in the spirit. I'm not negating like this is a very real thing. This is in us, but we have to steer our lives to the Lord. 
And Moses and Aaron give us a great example. So whenever somebody gets on your face and somebody angers you and somebody presses you and someone's all up in there, the best thing for you to do is get down on your face and seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, what is it? Man, this is so wise. I love what James chapter 1 says. If anyone lacks wisdom, pray and ask God and he will give it to you freely. There's something in seeking the counsel of the Lord whenever you're going through something very difficult. And not just the counsel of the Lord, but also counsel of others to help you. All right, so we got to move forward. So look at verse 7. So Moses and Aaron, they go before the Lord. They go to the tent of meeting. They, they, they bow down. They're in hum, total humility. They're asking God, Lord, this is the situation. What should we do? And, and look what God tells Moses. He says, the Lord said to Moses in verse 7, look at verse 8. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that their livestock can drink. All right, so God gives Moses very specific things to do. And then the next couple of verses... Moses begins to do them. All right, so look. So what did he do? Look at verse 9. So Moses took his staff. Okay, we need a Where's my staff? All right, got my staff. Bam. All right, got, Moses, get, let's get the staff going. All right, next thing up. All right, so Moses said, get the staff. And he didn't just get the staff. He got it from where? The presence of the Lord. So remember, Moses always had a staff. This is the same staff that opened the Red Sea up. This is the same staff that God used um, to, like, throw it down, and, and then his staff turned into a snake, and then it ate the other staffs. Like, this thing, I mean, like, God uses this tool for Moses, and Moses knows this. So the first thing God says, go get your staff. All right, Moses is like, got my staff. Check. All right, look at verse 10. And then... We had to go assemble everybody. Get the assembly together. All right, let's get everybody together. I want everybody to see what's about to happen and what's about to go down. Check. We're doing good. We're doing exactly what God has told us to do in front of the rock. Uh, so go ahead and put the rock picture up there, Stevie. All right. So this is actually um, what the, the rock formation looks like. Uh, a, a lot of archaeologists say that this is actually where Moses was standing. So when we think of a rock, it's not like a little like cinder block. I, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty massive. So stand in front of the rock, got it, got my staff, got it, assemble everybody together, make sure everybody could look, got it, check, we're good. All right, Moses is doing good right now, but here's where the problem happens. Look what he says in verse 10. Because he doesn't do what God told him to do. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring the water out of this rock? Now, God didn't ask him to add all that extra stuff in there. <laughs> all God said, speak to the rock, and I'm going to flow out all this water. Now, think about it. There's about 600,000 men. And if you include wives and children all that, there's over a million people plus all their livestock. They're going to need millions and millions and millions of gallons of water. This ain't like a little stream. And God is telling them to do this. But he doesn't. He ends up taking it upon his own hands. 
And then in verse 11, it says that Moses raised his arm, and instead of talking to the rock, he hit it twice. And then water gushed out, and the community and livestock, everybody got something to drink from it. And some of us look at this, and we're like, well, Ricky, I mean, everybody got water. This is great news. But as a consequence, look what happens in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I have given you. Man, that's tough. So they did everything God asked them to. He got his, he got, it, it was all there. It was all ready. What happened? Was it maybe because Miriam passed away? So maybe he was kind of going through it? Miriam was about 127 years old when she passed. So there's no surprise here. What happened with Moses? Now, we have to look back at his past, too, because Moses has always had a little bit of an issue with anger. When you look at the story of Moses, we see this. Let me give you guys some examples. So uh, Moses, whenever he was one of the heads of Egypt, there's a place in Exodus that talks about he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And the Bible says that he looked one way and he looked the other way. And he killed that Egyptian. And then it says that he buried him in the sand to like hide his body. Like how gangster is that? Like he got mad. Now, here's what's wild. Moses had the authority. All Moses had to do was stop. Stop doing that, please. I command you to stop doing it. He could have had the guy thrown in jail, but what happened? His anger got the best of him. Also, when you see there's a conversation that he has with Pharaoh, when, when he's going to bring the angel of death and the Lord's going to command that all firstborn in Egypt are going to die. And at the end of that passage, it says that Moses walked away from that meeting with Pharaoh and anger was hot in his heart. When Moses, after the people are freed, Moses goes to Mount Sinai and God gives him the law and the tablets. When Moses comes down that mountain, he sees everybody worshiping a golden calf and it's like Mardi Gras times 10 down there. What does Moses do? He grabs the tablets and he breaks them. He throws them. You see, Moses has always had kind of like this, this burning, this issue with anger. We, we've seen this in him. And this kind of got the best of him here as well because God told him to speak to the rock and he did it. And the problem with our emotions is when our emotions supersede our devotion to God. And we need to learn how to operate in the spirit and something I just kind of want to talk a little bit and point out, I, I believe there's four things here that happens to Moses that hinders how he obeys the Lord. And I think a lot of that falls in our lives as well because we carry some of this stuff. All right, so four quick things, and then we'll be out. Number one, Moses' perspective. So think about it. Moses is standing in front of the people of God. And his perspective is not that people are thirsty and people are worried and people are, 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 are legit hurting. 
What he sees is a bunch of people who are whiners and complainers, and they've been messing with him the last 40 years. His perspective on everything has changed. How do we know it changed? Because of what he called them. What did he call them? He called them a bunch of rebels. He might as well just cuss them out. He looked at the crowd, and instead of doing what God told him to do, he said, look at these rebels. See, that changes. His perspective shifted in the way that he saw people. And he didn't see them as people who were hurting or people of God. He saw them as a bunch of whiners and complainers, and he was kind of sick of them. When the Lord calls us to something, when the Lord calls us, let's just think of the most, like the stuff that we know, the, derivative, the, the great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And God is going to call some of us in here, well, he's going to call all of us to disciple people. And for some of us, it's like, Lord, I don't know if I want to go talk to this guy. He, has, he wants nothing to do with you. And the Lord is going to shift. He's going to tell you to go tell him the gospel. And you're like, man, have you seen the way they dress? You see what they look like? You hear the way they talk? Are you serious? I don't need to go and talk to them. Why? Because your perspective is jacked up. You're not looking at people the way God sees people. You're looking at people the way that you see people. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So we got to be real careful that we don't shake our staff at people instead of just saying, like, Lord, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to go hang out. I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to get to know people, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable. So his perspective kind of messed up his obedience. Number two, his past. His past had a, had a, a, hard, a, a large influence on his obedience. His past impacted it. The problem with our past is that our past could actually bring up emotions that many of us have been suppressing for years and years and years. And I'm not just talking about your past. I'm also talking about like church hurt as well. Where we've seen things in churches where we're like, God is calling us to a new work. And the first thing that pops in our mind is like, no, last time I did this, this is what happened. I'm a little bit more careful now. And the Lord's like, no, like, I'm with you. I'm calling you to this. And we have to be very careful that our emotions do not drive how we see obedience. Because a lot of us will be like Moses, and we will hit the rock. We're like, man, you want me to lead a small Are you kidding me? Last time I led a small group, they didn't even like my food. Boom. You start hitting it. Man, like, they didn't even say thank you kicking stuff over. Man, like they didn't even come prepared. They, didn't, they told me they were coming and they didn't want to come. Bam! And, and you're just wrecking house and you're wrecking havoc and God's like, I didn't ask you to do all that. I just asked you to go and disciple people and lead a small group and I'll take care of the rest. But you see, our past comes up and our past influences how we see the future. And we need to be very careful because for Moses, he's at the same spot, but this ain't 40 years ago. This is right now. And many of us operate in the past. And God's like, no, I'm doing a new thing. So I need you to operate in the now. And I am with you. Number three, our pr pride. 
Isn't it funny what Moses did? I don't know if y'all caught this in verse 10. He stands up in front of the people and he goes, you rebels, are we going to have to do this? And I can see God's like, what do you mean we? <laughs> We's a lot of people. That's what my dad always says. We ain't going to get water out of this rock. I'm the only one that has power enough to do this. You're just here for the ride. But you see what happens to Moses? Right? His pride gets sucked all in it. And now he's like, nah, it's me and God versus everybody. We're the ones that got to do this. And God's like, no. Because the problem with pride is that it also pulls in privilege. See, Moses got to experience some amazing things that God allowed him to experience. He didn't do it. God allowed him to be pulled in. God allowed him to be used. Moses was obedient, and he got to see some amazing and some grand things. Some of us in this room, we've gotten to see some amazing and big things that God did. It doesn't mean that you are any better than anybody else. You're blessed, but you got to check your privilege because God is asking you to join him in his work. And if your pride is in the way and you, if you feel privileged and you act like it's you and God versus the world, that's not how this works. It is God and he is allowing you to join him in his work, a broken, sinful vessel that is undeserving. And he and we get to join him. It's pretty awesome. So if we're going to, we have to be careful that we don't allow our emotions to oversee our devotion to God. Because it could block a lot of things. That's exactly what happened to Moses. Now, what was the problem? Why is this such an issue? And we'll close with this. Because what Moses did to the rock. You see, when the Lord, what we need to understand is that this, his word Everything about the Bible all points to a Messiah. It all points to a Savior. It is God with us. It is all about Jesus. And there was three things that happened when Moses hit that rock. Number one, he straight up disobeyed God, period. Disobedience. Listen, partial obedience is still disobedience. It doesn't matter if you get emotional. It doesn't matter if this is who I am. No, it doesn't matter. That's why he's giving you the Holy Spirit. You do what he calls you to do. So he disobeyed God. God said, talk to it, and he hid it. Now, some people will back up Moses because in, 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 uh, in Exodus chapter 17, when they go to Kadesh the first time, God does tell Moses to hit the rock, and water does come out. Forty years later, they're in Kadesh the second time. But this time, God says, no, don't hit the rock, I want you to speak to the rock. But Moses doesn't do it because something else that happens is now he's re, re, um, misrepresenting who God is and his character to the people. He calls them rebels. He doesn't love people. He's looking at them in, in, another, in another way. Moses is being the visible leader that is representing an invisible God, and he is misrepresenting who God is. And then he's elevating himself to God's status. 
He thinks that he is on the same level as God. That he, remember we talked about this last week. We all want to be God. We all want to be able to do whatever we want and have no consequences. So when Moses is like, okay, well, like me and him, we're the ones that are going to pull water out. That's a very dangerous place to live because you cannot manage that. So I went in with this. How does Moses misrepresent the Lord? So there's something called um, this rock actually represents, it's a, it's a typology of Christ. So I want to end in 1 Corinthians. If you go with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because I want us to understand that everything that God is calling us to do, everything where we move in obedience, is not just about his glory, but it's about bringing people to the feet of Christ. It's about his son. It's about the Savior. And look what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, for I do not want you to, um, to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was who? Christ. You see, this rock represented Christ at this time, moment in time. How do we know that? You see, the rock is, is an imagery all through Scripture. David cried out to the Lord, and he said, be my rock. This imagery is all over the Old Testament. Jesus even said the wise man built his house upon the rock, not the sand. You see, the thing about a rock is that a rock is stable. A rock is unmovable. The picture I got about this rock, this was taken about 10 years ago. It's still around. Archaeologists have, have proven over and over again, like, this is the location. A rock doesn't move. A rock is not stable. But also, he says, talk to the rock. You see, the first time we saw the rock, you struck, you struck it, and water came out. This time, I need you to speak to it. You see, because the thing is, with Jesus, his sacrifice only needed to happen one time. He was only needed to be stricken one time. He only needed to die one time because he resurrected from the grave. That's why it's hard for me to understand people that walk around with a crucifix. Why you need to see a dead Jesus over and over again? No, he died one time. He rose from the dead. He's living. That's all that matters. Jesus didn't need to get hit again. No, his sacrifice is sufficient. And then water had to come out. Not just a stream, but the water that came out that rock quenched the thirst, not just of all the people, not just of all the livestock, but through generation after generation after generation. And listen, Jesus is that living water. Jesus will quench your, the thirst of your sin. Jesus will heal you generation and generation and generation. There is no need 
to add anything else. The sacrifice is sufficient. He is done. He is resurrected. And that's our God. So I want to encourage us as we close. Emotions are real. Feelings are real. I'm not saying it's not. God put that in us. But when your emotions go over into your devotion to God, then we have a problem. How do I manage it? I seek the Lord. I get on my face. I ask for his counsel. I ask for his wisdom. And I operate in the spirit to do what he says. So that way, when it's my time to honor the Lord, what he's calling me to, I'm going to be obedient and not disobedient. Let me pray for us, and then we'll spend some time in worship. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you because you are a faithful God. And Lord, I just pray, God, that as you call us and as you invite us into your work and as you bring us in, Lord, I pray that we are obedient to what you call us to regardless of how we feel about it. So Lord, help us to stay faithful. Help us to look at people the way that you look at people. Help us to change our perspective. Help us not to operate in our past, Lord, or or in our fields, Lord, or all these things, God. You just help us to do what you've called us to because we know that it's going to honor Christ. So, Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Let's worship together.